right, this evening we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 13. And we have, in a way, another difficult message uh, where it doesn't work out well in the end. I, I like the stories that work out well in the end, but uh, many times it doesn't in uh, these Bible lessons. So this is uh, one of those examples where we're going to see here that uh, the Word of God is given and it's rejected. And that leads to destruction. So last week, we talked about how Jeroboam led the northern kingdom into its full and complete rebellion, uh, essentially a rebellion from which the north never returned. Um, Jeroboam rejected the word of God. We talked about that. And how uh, he had been told by the prophet that he would have ten, ten tribes that he would have rule over, and essentially he wasn't trusting in that word, and therefore he uh, came up with his own religious system to make temple worship unnecessary because he was afraid that the people would go back to the southern kingdom to Rehoboam. And we're going to see today how he's confronted again with the word of God, a very clear and powerful message of the word of God, and he rejects it, which is going to lead to his ultimate destruction. So let's go ahead and read verses 1 to 10. 1 to 10 in 1 Kings 13 uh, to get us started. It says, Now behold, there came a man of God from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, while Jeroboam was standing by the altar to burn incense. He cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. Then he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be split apart, and the ashes which are on it shall be poured out. Now when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar in Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him. But his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up, so that he could not draw it back to himself. The altar also was split apart, and the ashes were poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. The king said to the man of God, Please entreat the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him, and it became as it was before. Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. But the man of God said to the king, If you were to give me half of your house, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water in this place. For so I was, it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, you shall, not eat, you shall eat no bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way which you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way which he came to Bethel. Uh, before we dive into that, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, as we talked about last week as well, we know that sometimes the messages you give us are hard. They're, uh, uh, in one sense, scary. They're severe. 
and yet they are also the kinds of warnings and rebukes that we need to uh, be deterred from making the same kinds of mistakes. Help us to be sensitive to your word and respond to it and not be hard-hearted like Jeroboam um, and others that we see. Uh, help us to have hearts that are eager to hear your word and pray that you would use it in us to change us and make us more like Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to see this evening that the rejection of God's word leads to destruction. And that's illustrated here very carefully by uh, the life of Jeroboam. But un also, not just Jeroboam. There's actually another that we'll uh, look at in just a little bit. But we're going to see here that, uh, first of all, the, the word of the Lord uh, is given against false worship. So as we looked at verses 1 through 10, we see the scene where Jeroboam is worshiping essentially at his newly created false worship site in Bethel. So if you remember, we, uh, so there's a confrontation that goes on here at Bethel, verses 1 through 3, but we talked about the split of the kingdoms there. We got the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. And specifically, Jeroboam had built uh, a worship center in Bethel, also up in Dan, farther north. But we're at the scene in Bethel where he is worshiping, and he's confronted here in verses 1 through 3 by this man of God who starts prophesying about the altar, and he talks about Josiah who comes all the way at the end of the book of Kings and 2 Kings, I think, 23, um, and he prophesies about how Josiah is going to burn uh, the, the priests on these altars that they've been worshiping and creating sacrifices. So he is confronting them, and we see uh, a few things that I want to point out. Number one, look at the prophet, verse 1. It's now, now behold, there came a man of God from Judah. So Judah is the southern kingdom. That's the kingdom that stayed with Rehoboam, and therefore this is a, uh, a genuine prophet that is uh, bringing a message from the Lord to Bethel where they have this false worship site set up, and they're doing some kind of sacrifice, it says there, at the altar. So the man of God from Judah, he's from the southern kingdom, and they're at Bethel, which is the place where they set up one of the calves for the false worship in the northern kingdom. So, we have then this prophecy. What does he say? He says he cries against the altar. He says, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests who burn incense on you, and human bones shall be burned. We read in 2 Kings, that's exactly what Josiah does. But that is about 300 years later that that happens. But... This man of God is prophesying about that, but he also not only gives a prophecy of what's going to happen in the future, he also gives a sign. Look at verse 3. Verse 3, it says, And he gave a sign on that day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be split apart, and the ashes which are on it poured out. So not only is there this prophecy about 300 years later that's supposed to happen there is also a sign that's going to happen that the altar will be split. Or you might say torn. The, the idea here is the same idea that we see with Saul and how he walked away from Samuel and is 
as uh, Samuel's walking away from him, telling him that the kingdom was going to be torn away from him, he grabbed onto Samuel's uh, uh, cloak and it ripped. That, that torn, that's the same idea as talking about here as well. Um, also with Solomon, it was told by a prophet to Jeroboam that the kingdom was going to be torn from Solomon. So um, though it's a subtle hint, I think we should understand this is a reference that Jer Jeroboam would have understood that the kingdom, in a sense, is being torn from him as well because of his false worship. The, the very altar on which they're worshiping is being uh, ruined uh, because of this prophecy and Jeroboam's rebellion. So it's a subtle hint in pointing at that, but Jeroboam uh, should have made that clear, understood that. Um, the ashes are going to be poured out as well, it says, making the sacrifice essentially ineffective. Um, and again, it's a message that this is false worship and the Lord does not approve of what they're doing. So, how does King Jeroboam react to this? Well, probably very similar to most kings who are promoting false worship for selfish purposes, right? He wants to exert his force. Look at verse 4. He wants to exert his force here, and he says, basically seize him. He, he, he puts out his hand and uh, points essentially at the man of God and says, seize him. And uh, when he does that, though, we see another sign from God happens here on verse 4b that his hand uh, dries up and he's not able to bring it back. It says, but his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up, so that he could not draw it back. Also, this is when the altar was split or torn, it says in verse 5, and the ashes were poured out. So simultaneously, it seems, or very close in sequence, we have Jeroboam's hand dried up and stuck, and the altar is split apart and the ashes spill out. So God does these signs as an evidence of the seriousness of the, the, the message that he's given to the northern kingdom here. So God's word is very, very clear. Jeroboam is rebelling against God, and God is confronting him. We see uh, with the prophet uh, what actually is going to become a pattern throughout the book of Kings. The prophets become God's messengers to confront the wicked kings who are not obeying God. So we see two of the most famous prophets like this throughout the books are Elijah and Elisha, who uh, are often confronting the kings of the north and their sinful behaviors. Specifically, the, the major king we read about repeatedly that they confront is uh, Ahab. Ahab is certainly a big one. But the prophets have this role of bringing this message from God in confrontation to resist these kings who are disobeying God and we have the signs here demonstrating the validity of this message, that this is from the Lord. And he's protecting his prophet in the process by causing his hand to, uh, of the king to wither up. Now notice the king's request. This is somewhat humorous to, to think about this. And when you uh, read what the king does here, the king said to the man of God, so he's just asked for him to be taken. Uh, assuming for the purpose of killing him. But the king then says to the man of God, please entreat the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. Uh, 
Jeroboam's at a worship service, right? Shouldn't he be praying to his God, whatever that is, to take care of his hand? And he knows the Lord's not going to listen to him. So he asks the prophet to pray for his hand. And the mercy of God. God restores his hand. Uh, so we have mercy here on Jeroboam. In fact, when we think about the word of God confronting Jeroboam here, this is at the beginning of the northern kingdom's rebellion against God. God is sending this revelation, this sign, this message as mercy. Even though they would ultimately not listen to it, God's message to them to confront them in their sin is God's mercy. They weren't excited about it. They weren't eager. Obviously, Jeroboam is reacting very negatively to this, but it is God's mercy to give him and give them his word. Now, notice also how Jeroboam then handles it next. Not only does he make this request and his hand gets restored, but we also see he seeks to uh, meet with the prophet. Verse 7. Verse 7, the king then said to the man of God, Come home with me, refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. Well, common sense would say he, he, it's not a good idea, right? Is, is the king really going to do something great and kind for this guy? Sure, maybe he's happy that his hand is better, but what is this really? This is Jeroboam realizing his tactic of force isn't going to work, so he results to manipulation. So now he's going to try and manipulate the situation and get him to come back with him. But notice the prophet's refusal to do that in verses 8 through 10. We see the prophet respond, but the man of God says to the king, if you were to give me half your house, I would not go with you nor would I eat bread or drink water in this place. So money is no object. You can't buy me. Like we talked about this morning, the prophets are examples of suffering and persecution that they experienced in the Old Testament. This man is loyal to his God. He's going to obey. Notice verse 9. He's been given a command by God. For God said, um, He commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall eat no bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way which you came. And, and then he obeys that in verse 10. So he went another way and did not return by the way which he came to Bethel. Now, we need to ask this question because this is going to come up later. Why is it so important that he doesn't eat with him? Why is it so important he doesn't go with him and have a meal and stay with him uh, in Bethel and, and, and have food and drink together? And I think this is actually instructive for us when we think about the concept of separation in the New Testament as well. Having a meal together signifies that things are okay or you're in agreement. So if the prophet was to go with him and have a meal, it's signifying there's some kind of peace or there's some kind of agreement that we can have. And God wanted a clear message that they're sinning against him and there's no peace. You need to repent. So it's a very important instruction that he does not go with him. I don't think this is just to protect the prophet from the king's manipulation or purposes to harm him. This is symbolic of God's displeasure 
with their false religion and rejection of it and his need to turn away from it and, and send a very clear message to Jeroboam. So the prophet leaves. Great. Sounds like a good ending so far. Well, it gets more complicated. Let's look at verses 11 to 25 where we'll see the word of God against the disobedient prophet. Let's look at 11 to 25. It says, Now an old prophet was living in Bethel, and his sons came and told him by the deeds, uh, told him all the deeds which the man of God had done that day in Bethel, the words which he had spoken to the king. These also they related to their father. Their father said to them, Which way did he go? Now his sons had seen the way which the man of God who came from Judah had gone. Then they, he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode away on it. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break it up because it's a long section. So uh, in verses 11 through 13, we see the news of this message, this news of this event. This prophet has called out Jeroboam, spoken this prophecy against this altar, and refused to, to meet with him. His hand was dried up and then healed and, and left another way. So this message comes to this old prophet in Bethel. Now, what should be... I want to be careful not to go beyond what's written, but we talked last week about how Jeroboam turned the tide of religious activities in the north, Right? And we even talked about how in Second Chronicles, I believe it was, that told us there were many Levites who left the north because Jeroboam was instituting priests in the, in the high places from different tribes other than Levi, which was disobedience to God's word. And not only the Levites left, but there were many other followers of the Lord that left and came to Judah. So it should at least cause some suspiciousness in our mind about this prophet who's from Bethel. At least be suspicious, and we'll see there's reason to be suspicious. But um, there's this old prophet, he hears about this, and he is interested to know which way the man went. So his sons happen to see that. So he gets his donkey ready and goes after him. So let's look at 14 to 19 where the prophets meet. So he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. He said, the prophet from Judah, I cannot return with you, nor go with you, nor will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For a command came to me by the word of the Lord, You shall eat no bread nor drink water there, do not return by going the way which you came. So, uh, before we go a little farther there, um, the two prophets meet up, right? So the old prophet finds the prophet from Judah, and he's talking to him, and he also says, hey, let's have a meal together. Again, I think the significance we should understand is to have a meal is to imply things are okay with Bethel and their worship center, and it's not. God wants there to be a very clear message that he's rejecting their new false worship. And so uh, the prophet initially responds with, no, I can't go. The Lord has given me command. I'm not to go. I've got to go back a different way. So he seems to obey. But look at verse 18. He said to him, that's the old prophet now, the one from Bethel, 
I also am a prophet like you. An angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So this old prophet makes up a lie, saying, Hey, I have a word from the Lord too. You're supposed to join me. (laughs) So what does he do? Verse 19. So he went back with him, and ate bread in his house, and drank water. So he accepted the offer. Um, That didn't turn out so well. Let's look at verses 20 to 23. Now it came about as they were sitting down at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. So the old prophet now has a genuine word from the Lord. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah saying, Thus says the Lord, Because you have disobeyed the command of the Lord and have not observed the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but have returned and eaten bread and drunk water in the place which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the grave of your fathers. Now, just think for a minute. Here's here's Jeroboam. Not only doing the wrong thing, but leading a nation in doing the wrong thing and a whole uh, false worship. And his hand is dried up and then healed for him, but yet allowed to live for a little while. Here's, Here's this man of God who did faithfully take this message but now is in trouble because he disobeyed. That, that seems severe, doesn't it? But uh, I think in, in part, he has greater revelation. He is a genuine follower of the Lord, and there is a very serious violation here. Well, what is that? Well, let's, let's think about this. The prophet that came from Judah had a clear revelation from God on what he was to do. A clear word from God. And he accepted a counter-revelation claim by this old prophet. Going against the clear word of God that he already had. Now if you think about that, I think we can make some very powerful application. Think about our own situation today. There are a lot of people who claim to have a word from God or revelation and we have the written word of God and it's adequate. It is thoroughly equipping for everything that we need. It tells us in 2 Timothy. We need to accept and obey and live by the revealed word of God and this prophet rejected the clear word that he had for a claim for a contrary word. Foolishness. And God therefore holds him accountable for that. Look at verses 24 and 25 where the prophet meets his end. It says in verse 23 first, let me finish there. It it came about after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled the donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back, now he had, when he had gone, a lion met him on the way and killed him. And his body was thrown on the road, 
with the donkey standing beside it, the lion also was standing beside the body. And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown on the road, and the lion standing beside the body. So they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. So, we have a clear example of a prophet being disobedient to the word of God that he received. For what purpose? For bread and for water? So that he could eat? He disobeyed the clear word of God. And, again, I think we need to understand all of this with the backdrop of the message God is sending to Jeroboam and the northern kingdom that they are doing wrong and he wants it to be very clear they're in the wrong. And this prophet, by doing this, by going back and eating at Bethel, is disobeying what God said, but it's also sending the wrong message, that there can be peace, there can be uh, accommodation. When there cannot, they need to repent. They need to turn from their wicked way. And it's confusing that message. So, he is, in a sense, mixing the message. He is mixing the word of God, which is something we know from other scriptures as well, God takes very, very seriously. So, he meets his end. We also see here, um, at the interesting end of the story, how the old prophet recognizes the truth of the prophecy this, this man from Judah, this man of God from Judah had given. So look with me in verses uh, 26 to 32. And we'll, we'll uh, break it down verse by verse here. 26 and 27, it says, Now that when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he said, it is the man of God who disobeyed the command of the Lord. Therefore the Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake. Then he spoke to his son, saying, Saddle the donkey for me, and they saddled it. So the, the old prophet is going to see him, and we, we see that uh, he does. Verse 20 and 29, He went and found his body thrown on the road, which the donkey... And the lion standing beside the body, the lion had not eaten the body nor torn the donkey. It's, it's significant when you think about that. A lion who's hungry and is preying on something would normally consume it. This also is an indication this is happening at the specific command of God to do this. So this lion is not consuming his body or uh, the donkey that's next to him. But in verse 29, so the prophet took up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back. And he came to the city of the old prophet to mourn and to bury him. So the old man then uh, mourns and buries him. Verse 30, he laid, laid his body in his own grave and they mourned over him saying, alas, my brother. So, uh, the old man, the old prophet buries him. I would also point out uh, uh, verse 31 and 32. Notice how he is persuaded of the truth of the prophecy. Look at verses 31 and 32 with me. After he had buried him, he spoke to his son saying, When I die, bury me in the grave which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the thing shall surely come to pass which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria. 
So this man is absolutely convinced of this prophecy based on all of these events. So he tells his sons to have him buried there as well. He is convinced of the certainty of the prophecy. Certainly he had the extra revelation of the rebuke on the prophet that came through him that also helped, but I think the point is intended to draw our attention to how this man recognized this was a clear word from God to be heeded and was going to come true, uh, even though what we're going to see is Jeroboam does not. He does not recognize. He does not change his ways. He essentially goes on. So let's, let's look at uh, the end of the chapter and how Jeroboam responds essentially to all these things. Verse 33 it says, After this event, Jeroboam did not return from his evil way. But again, he made priests of the high places from among all the people, any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. So, the old prophet was completely convinced that this was true and was going to happen. This was a serious warning from the Lord. And yet, Jeroboam is completely unfazed. Isn't that disturbing? He, Jer Jeroboam had clear revelation from God. He had signs demonstrated to him, one of which was his own hand that was healed. And he still persists in his sinful ways. The sinful human heart. He not only just continues, I think the idea here in 33 is that he's renewed in his commitment to continue to get these priests and put them in their service in the high places. These tri uh, priests from all, all the people. And but notice uh, God's response to this. How, how is God going to ultimately deal with this? Look at verse 34. It says, This event became sin to the house of Jeroboam, even to blot it out and destroy it from off of the face of the earth. A very, very, very severe statement about what God is going to do to the house of Jeroboam. And we're going to see in chapter 14 how that very message is reinforced again, that God is going to destroy the house of Jeroboam for this sin. Now, I, I realize as we get to the end here, and I'm drawing your, your thoughts toward the concluding principles and applications, that I forgot to make one detail clear. When you, when you look at this passage, it may not be immediately clear what, what is the theme, what's the main point. And one of the ways we often figure that out as we're going through the study of the scriptures is repeated phrases or words. What word or phrase did we hear repeatedly throughout this passage of scripture? The word of the Lord. That's right. Now, I, I probably helped you a little bit by having the, the main points have that in it. But yes, the word of the Lord is mentioned repeatedly. Um, I had taken some notes on all, all the forms and ways you may see that throughout this 
passage, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 5, verse 9, verse 17, verse 18, verse 20, 26, 32. Um, it says the Lord commanded in verse 9, verse 21. It says the mouth of the Lord in verse 21, verse 26. So clearly the theme is on God's word and their response to it. So I just want to, in closing, walk you through the relationship of three people to the Word of God. So we, we've talked about some of this, but it'll make it real clear. First of all, Jeroboam. Jeroboam was given the Word of God, and that being given to him was mercy. He was mercifully confronted with the Word of God, even though he didn't respond to it. In fact, he despised it. But it was still mercy. When God confronts somebody with their sin, reveals the wrongness of it, gets in their way, gets them caught, if you will, that is God's mercy to deliver somebody from that sinful thing. And God was confronting very harshly, very clearly, Jeroboam, and yet he despised the word of God. Rejected it. But let's also think about the prophet of Judah. He had the word of God. The word of God was his safety. He was given the prophecy which he made and obeyed. But he was also given the instruction to return home another way and not to eat bread and drink water. And yet, even though the word of God was his safety, he abandoned it. He left it. He received a counter-revelation claim in opposition to the clear word he had already received. And this is instructive for us. We have the word of God. We have revelation from God. We don't need to add to it. In fact, there's warnings to those who do or those who take away from it. But uh, we need to obey and respond to the revealed word of God. We also see the prophet at Bethel. This one might be a little confusing. What, what was his relation to the word of God? Well, he was a prophet. He had the word of God or the revelation of God as his profession. And yet he abused it. He abused it. He gave a message to the man of God that was a lie, claiming it was a revelation from God. And that message resulted in the death of that man. He abused his relationship to the word of God. He speaks, in, in one case, he speaks the truth there, but his actions resulted in the death of another. He abused the word of God. I think all of these are very, very serious warnings for us to think about. What is our response to the word of God? Do we recognize the confrontation of the word of God in our lives as mercy and therefore rejoice and respond to it? Do we trust in the word of God that we've received and cling to it and not look to go beyond it? And do we use the word of God properly or do we misuse and abuse it? All 
very serious challenges that we need to think about in our relationship to the Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have your Word. Father, it's a great privilege, and we uh, are confronted in our sin because of it, and we thank you for that. We pray that you would help us to not be hard-hearted like Jeroboam was, and despise your word and refuse to submit to it or listen to it. Help us to be quick to obey and respond to its confrontation in our lives. Help us also, Father, to be faithful to obey your word and not go beyond it. Help us not to be seeking other revelation or distrusting what you've written. Help us to use it properly. Help us to strive to have our lives guided by it, but also to use it to be a help to those around us, those who are turning away from you or uh, need to know you or uh, those we simply need to encourage. Help us to become more masterful at using your word the proper way. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.